You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.church. Well, Stonegate, it is good to see you this morning. How are you? Great. It is great to see your faces in this room. And for those who are online in your living room, it is so good to have you. Thank you for gathering with us as we just turn our gaze up to the risen Jesus today, which we all need that. We we all need our attention turned up and fixed on him. And so uh, let me start by asking a question this morning. By the way, it would be helpful if you had your Bible out to Psalm 42 so you can follow along with us. So if you don't have that out, make sure you get that out and uh, and you can pay attention to that, that passage, that chapter with us. So let me start with this question. What is the Bible about? What is the scripture about? From Genesis to Revelation, if you cut the Bible all the way down to its core, here's what you could say about the the entirety of the scriptures. It is announcing the gospel. That's what it's doing. It's telling one huge story, announcing the gospel. Now, let's think about that word gospel for a moment. In the first century, the word gospel or good news, it wasn't isolated to sort of religious uh, sort of uh, places. It wasn't just a religious word maybe used in the temple or in the equivalent of the church. It was used in a much wider context. In the Greek language, it was often used in references to battles. That would be one of the primary ways that word gospel was used. Uh, So when the battle had been won, the general would send back a a gospel, an announcement of good news, a declaration of victory. And the one who would often carry this declaration of good news would be called the evangelist or a messenger. So uh, picture this scene for a moment. Uh, Picture yourself in a city, and the city has sent out its best men to fight. All the sort of men that that could fight have been sent out to fight for the freedom of this city. And if they lose, just imagine what's on the line. If if these people that you have just sent out to fight for you, if they lose, then all is going to be lost. Now, Now picture that scene. You're in the city, you're you're awaiting news, you're awaiting, eagerly awaiting a gospel. And on the horizon, you see an evangelist running back toward the city, and the evangelist makes his way into the middle of the city, and he announces good news to the city. The battle's won, victory is sure, your freedom is now secure. Can you picture that moment? That's the sort of context and the way that word gospel was used in the first century. Now, it's amazing. Just think about this for a moment. It's amazing the difference good news can make in a human life. Isn't it amazing to think about that, that the difference that good news can can make? Imagine for a moment a group of, of prisoners. They're POWs, and they're starving Their faces are gaunt. A few of of these prisoners are dying each day in this camp. And after months of working on this broken radio, uh, it's fixed. It it sparks, and they get a signal, and they hear that liberators are just a few miles away from the camp where they're held as prisoners. Now, imagine that scene and what happens. And imagine if you were one of the guards... Um, keeping those prisoners in, and, and you turn and you see uh, this odd sight. Uh, these gaunt, starving men are now laughing and screaming, and they're beating on pots and pans. They're just going crazy uh, in this camp. Now, now think about this if you're the guard. Uh, nothing has changed inside the camp. 
They're still gaunt. They're still starving. A few of them are still dying each day. Nothing has changed inside the camp, but everything has changed inside these men. That's the difference good news can make. It can totally change what's happening on the inside of a human being. So what is the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you want to condense it down to four words, this is our four-word summary that we often use around our church family. If you want to condense it down to four words, it would be these four words. It's Jesus in our place. There's the good news of Jesus, that Jesus lived perfectly in our place. Everywhere you have failed, Jesus perfectly succeeded. Jesus died in our place. All of our sin came crashing down on him, crushing him, and his perfect life was credited to us. And then on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, showing God's power over Satan, sin, and death. It's the announcement of good news that Jesus, King Jesus, has fought our battle, secured our victory, and won our freedom. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here is a surprising discovery, though, as we read the scriptures. It's a surprising thing to realize that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, is not just for those who are outside of Jesus. It is also for those who are in Christ, who have received Jesus. Or we could say it this way, that the good news of Jesus isn't just for non-Christians, It isn't just for those who need to come into life with God, who need to be rescued and redeemed by Jesus. It's not just for non-Christians. The good news of Jesus is also for Christians. It It is the way we grow in our life with God too. Now, part of what Psalm 42 is doing for us is it's showing us one of the primary ways that we apply as a follower of Jesus it's one of the primary, it's showing, it's one of the primary ways we apply or bring to bear the gospel in our lives. How we, how we actually apply it to our hearts. Psalm 42 is showing us what it looks like to preach the gospel to ourselves. To preach the gospel to ourselves. Now, for some of us, that is going to be very familiar language. And for other, others of us in the room or online there, it's going to be very unfamiliar language. So, so I want to spend a few minutes this morning just working out this idea of preaching the gospel to yourself. So we'll take it in a couple of parts. Uh, what is it? Why do we need it? And how do, we, how do we do it? What is it? Why do we need it? And how do we do it? So let's start with question one. What is preaching the gospel to yourself? What what, what does that mean? What is that? Well, let's start with a definition. What is preaching the gospel to yourself? It's rehearsing the good news of Jesus to stay mindful of all we have and all we are in him. That's what it means to preach the gospel to yourself. It's rehearsing, reminding yourself. It's rehearsing the good news of Jesus to stay mindful of all we are and all we have in him. Maybe you could think of it this way. It's it's the spiritual habit of remembering Jesus, the person and work of Jesus, what his life, death, and resurrection has secured for us. It's it's reminding ourselves, remembering the forgiveness of sin. Uh, That because of Jesus, we now have the smile and approval of God. Like when God thinks of you, there is a smile on his face. It's it's rehearsing and remembering these things. Uh, 
It's rehearsing God's personal and particular presence in our lives. We're sons of his, sons and daughters of of God himself. It's it's reminding ourselves of the love of God, his never stopping, never ending, unquenchable love for us, of our inheritance in Jesus. That God is preparing a place for us that's going to absolutely blow our minds. It's it's keeping these things fresh in our minds, fresh in our hearts, uh, remembering that the power and presence of the Holy Spirit living in us. It's keeping all of these things fresh. It's rehearsing these beautiful gospel realities. I love how one person said it. He said, preaching the gospel to yourself is working into your heart everything Jesus has already worked out for you. I I love that. That's what preaching the gospel to yourself is. It's it's working into your heart, rehearsing, remembering, preaching these things to yourself, working into your heart everything that Jesus has already worked out for you. Now, if you want an example of this, Psalm 42 is the example. Watch, Watch how the Psalms puts this into action. Watch how he preaches the good news of Jesus to himself. The same phrase occurs twice in Psalm 42. You see it in verse 5 and verse 11. You might just underline that phrase in verse 5. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Do you see that in verse 5? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? So the psalmist is downcast. He's depressed. Worry and fear like an invading army have laid siege to his heart. He's in a battle for for joy, for belief in the goodness of God. This is where you find the the writer of this psalm. Now, if you have walked with God for any time, you have found yourself in this position, in a battle for joy, in, in a battle to believe in the goodness of God. You've had these sort of moments. Have you ever noticed how life has a way of pushing back on our theology? Have you ever noticed that? This is what's happening to the psalmist. The psalmist has rock-solid theology, but he is struggling to believe it. Have you ever been in that moment where you're just struggling to believe the things that you know? This is where the psalmist finds himself. Now, what does the psalmist do? Answer. He preaches the good news of Jesus to his heart. That's what the psalmist does. So let's follow along in verse 5. He starts out by questioning himself. Soul, why are you cast down? Why are you cast down? Why are you fearful? Why are you in turmoil? Soul, what's going on? So he questions himself, and then he moves on. Then he commands himself. Look at what he says next. Hope in God. So why are you cast down? That's the question. Now, this is the command. Hope in God. It's as if he grabs his heart as if he's grabbing his soul and he's shaking it and saying, soul, remember God. Trust in God. Put your hope in God. Trust the one who's trustworthy. He he commands himself, hope in God. Then he assures himself, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's, He's assuring himself in the midst of suffering, in the midst of struggling to believe. He's assuring himself, this is This is my God. I love that personal pronoun. It's it's my God. He is my salvation. My God has not left me. 
My dad's not only rescued me from sin, he has given me a plethora of promises. He's promised to, to walk with me and one day deliver me safely to heaven. This is, this is my God. He has promised me grace in times of need. This is my God. He's, he's preaching the gospel to himself. Now, I remember years ago reading um, some of Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the last century, as he is talking about this. He's, he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, and he's talking about Psalm 42 in this particular moment in verse 5 of Psalm 42. And listen to what he says about this passage. He says, have you, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life, and just think about what he's about to say here, most of your unhappiness in life he goes on to say, is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Have you ever just considered that about your life? That the most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. Somebody's talking. Who is talking? He goes on to answer it. Yourself is talking to you. Now, I love how Paul Tripp talks about this. He says, that, uh, he says that no one in your life is more influential than you are because no one talks to you more than you talk to you. Isn't that a funny thing to think about? No one's more influential in your life because no one says more to you than you say to you. It's strange to think about, uh, but, but we all are talking to ourselves all the time, we're constantly analyzing situations and circumstances, and then we interpret those situations and circumstances, and then we organize all of that into thoughts and responses, and then we convince ourselves of a course of action. We're always doing that all the time. Think about it this way. Whenever someone runs something by you and you say, um, okay, can you give me a second to think about that? What you're actually saying is, hey, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to talk that over with myself, and then I'll let you know what I think about it. And that's what we're saying in that moment. We're, we're constantly doing this. We're constantly talking to ourselves. We're in unending conversations with, with ourselves all day, every day, talking to ourselves. And that conversation is massively important because it's shaping you. It's the most influential voice in your life because you're always hearing it. And that voice that you're hearing is shaping and giving context to your life and, and, and contour to your life. It's either bending you around or away from the good news of Jesus. It's doing one of those two things. It's either bending you around and shaping you into the form of the gospel or away from the good news of Jesus. And this, in a lot of ways, welcomes us to our problem. As soon as the alarm goes off, the self-talk begins. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about it. He says, when you wake up in the morning, your thoughts rush upon you like a pack of wild animals. And I found that to be very true in my life. When my eyes come open, there are a pack of wild animals in front of me rushing upon me. And the default setting of those voices, the default setting of, of everything we hear, the pack of wild animals, all those voices when we wake up, the default setting is void of the good news of Jesus. It, it has no gospel in it. If, it. It would be amazing if someone could put a recorder onto your self-talk and record what is happening, that constant conversation. If they could record that all week, it would probably surprise you 
It'd probably stun you about how anti-gospel it sounds. For many of us, it's a very self-defeating script. That voice is very self-defeating. Today's problems are just going to be too big. Life is just going to be too much for you. There are winners in life and there are losers in life. And unfortunately, you're not in the category of winner. It's just that sort of self-defeating voice many of us wake up hearing. Uh, But for others, it's a very um, self-confident voice. Uh, There are winners and there are losers, and I'm so glad that I'm a winner, right? I I just, when I compare myself to other people, it's just amazing how amazing I am. Some of us have that voice going on, right? Or or for many of us, it's just, we kind of ricochet back from one side to the other, self-defeating in one moment, self-confident in the next. But the point is, and the problem is, our self-talk is dominated by the old remnants of sin in our heart. It's just void of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I wake up and I just start listening, it has no gospel in it. Now listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to say. What do we do in light of that? What do we do? He goes on to say this. Talking about Psalm 42, verse 5, he says, Now this man's treatment was this. So the the pack of wild animals rushes upon him. It's void of the gospel. This man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are thou cast down, O my soul, he asked. His soul has been depressing him and crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. And now listen to this next statement. It's an amazing statement. He says, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, unbraid yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, of who God is, of what God has done, and of what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. That is preaching the gospel to yourself. That's taking the good news of Jesus and applying it to your heart. It's bringing it to bear in the very places where you need it most. It's reminding ourselves of all that we have and all that we are in Christ. It's, It's working into our hearts everything that Jesus has already worked out for us. That's what it is. Now, why do we need it? Why do we need it? The reason we need to preach the gospel to ourselves is really simple. It's because we are forgetful. Our memory is like wet cement. It just, it's one swipe over it and everything on the surface is gone. 
right? This is, I remember, we are forgetful people. We are prone to forget the good news of Jesus. Now, by forget, I mean that the default of every human heart, even those who have been rescued by Jesus, there is a default in us to slip back into a way of thinking and believing that is void of the gospel of grace, that default works in you, that default works in me. This is why we, we so often wake up with an anti-God script. We are prone to forget, we're prone uh, to begin to look again at ourselves and our performance, uh, not to Christ and his performance. We're prone to do that. We are forgetful people. And on top of that, uh, we have the old self in us still. And when we talk about the flesh, um, that is that old self. And, and the flesh is that anti-God part of us, the, the remnants of that old man. And that old man still remains in us even after we have been rescued by Jesus. And that old man, the flesh, it has a voice and it's always talking. It's always trying to lure us away from God. And every morning when you get out of bed, you start to hear the voice of the flesh that, that anti-God part of us. And this is what's happening in Psalm 42. Now, now think about the context of Psalm 42. Uh, Psalm 42 it starts it just with this beautiful couple of verses. As a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, we love to sort of quote that verse in a vacuum. But if you look at that verse in the context of Psalm 42, that, that verse is coming from a man who is gasping for breath. It, it is, in a lot of ways, an expression of desire born out of just all-out desperation. This man's life is hard. Look at verse 3. It says, my tears have been my food day and night. And, and while they, talking about people around him, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Look at verse 7. He's talking to God and he is saying, your breakers and waves have gone over me. It's the picture of being waist deep in the ocean and just absorbing wave after wave of suffering and hardship and difficulty. Look in verse 9. He's looking up to God and praying to God and saying, why have you forgotten me, O God? Why have you forgotten me? This psalm was written in the valley of despair. That's where the psalmist is. He is in the valley of despair where the fog of forgetfulness is so, so common. He's struggling to remember the promises of God. He's struggling to remember the goodness of God. He's struggling to remember the gospel, the good news. And this is all of our story. We are all people who struggle to remember. We're all like, this is, this is the reason that Paul and really the rest of the New Testament writers are constantly reminding the New Testament churches of the gospel that they had already preached to the New Testament churches. All the New Testament writers are doing this. Uh, so this is uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He's looking at the church in Corinth, and he's writing to them, and he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand. So the, the people in Corinth, the church there, they, they had heard the gospel. Paul had preached it to them. They had received the gospel, and they were standing in the gospel. And Paul says, and I'm writing to remind you of it. 
Because he knows we are forgetful people. This is what Peter's doing in 2 Peter chapter 1. Or take, um, take the letter uh, to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. Paul spends the first three chapters of that letter reminding the church in Ephesus of the good news of Jesus. There is not one single command in the first, there's only one in the first three chapters of the letter of Ephesians, right? Everything else is just declarations of what God has done for them, what Jesus has secured for them. One command in the first three chapters, and that command is to remember, or you could say rehearse, or you could say preach the gospel to yourself. Remember all that you have and all that you are in Jesus. Work into your heart what Jesus has already worked out for you. The New Testament is aware that the only way to deal with those anti-God scripts that we wake up and are on repeat in our souls is to remember and constantly rehearse the good news of Jesus. You need that. I need that. We constantly have to be reminded of these things. And listen, this is what we're doing on Sunday mornings when we gather. Every Sunday morning, our goal in song and sermon is to rehearse the gospel to keep the good news of Jesus in front of us, to give us a weekly reminder of the good news of Jesus. Now, but here's the truth for all of us. We need more than a weekly reminder, don't we? You need more than a weekly reminder. I need more than a weekly reminder. We need by the second reminders. And that is the importance of preaching the gospel to yourself. We need ongoing, fresh, by the minute reminders. Now, here's the thing. From my experience, this is a massively important habit for all of us to develop. This is not the only habit. This is not the only discipline, discipline for, uh, you know, to practice for a follower of Jesus. But I can just tell you that in my life, it has become one of the most important habits for me to do whatever it takes to keep the good news of Jesus fresh in my memory at the forefront of my brain. And let me just let a couple of other people in church history encourage you along these lines. Listen to John Owen. He was a pastor a few centuries ago. Listen to how he said it. He said, if I have observed anything by experience, it is this. A man may take the measure of his growth and decay in grace according to his thoughts and meditations upon the person of Christ and the glory of Christ's kingdom and his love. He's saying if, if, you wanna, if you wanna track a person's growth in Jesus or their stagnation and decay in Jesus, all you have to know is how freshly the good news of Jesus is on their mind. How they're rehearsing and, and keeping the good news of Jesus in front of them. That's going to be your number one indicator as to whether or not that person is growing in grace or, or if they're declining in grace. Uh, listen to Milton Vincent. He wrote a book called Gospel Primer. I just love it. It's just trying to keep the good news of Jesus in front of us. And look at what he says. He said, over the course of time, preaching the gospel to myself every day has made more of a difference in my life than any other discipline I have ever practiced. I find myself sinning less, but just as importantly, I find myself recovering my footing more quickly after sinning due to the immediate comfort found in the good news of Jesus. 
I've also found that when I am absorbed in the gospel, everything else I'm supposed to be toward God and others seems to flow out of me more naturally and passionately. Doing right is not always easy, but it is never more easy than when one is breathing deeply the atmosphere of the gospel. Now, now I love that. Who who in here doesn't want to sin less? I, I would like to do that. Who in here would not like to find more comfort after we sin? I I would like that. Who in here would like to recover our footing more quickly after we sin? I I would sure love that. Who would love to love Jesus and love our neighbor better? We all want to do that, right? And if we want to do that, I agree with him. Preaching the gospel to ourselves tills our heart and keeps the good news of Jesus in front of us so that all of those things are more likely to happen. It's, it's one of the primary ways we cooperate with the Spirit of God and His work in our soul to keep the good news of Jesus firmly fixed before our eyes. So that's question two. Why do we need it? And lastly, we'll finish here. How do we preach the gospel to ourselves? I want to just finish by giving some uh, direction on how do we grow in our ability to remind ourselves, to rehearse uh, the good news of Jesus to ourselves. And let me just give you a couple of encouragements here. Um, First, I would just encourage you this way. Keep gazing at the gospel. If you want to grow in your ability to remind yourself of the good news of Jesus, then just keep gazing upon the good news of Jesus, thinking about the good news of Jesus, pondering the good news of Jesus. I love 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. John says, see, or behold. He says, behold, think about, look, firmly fix your attention. See what kind of love the Father has given to us uh, that we should be called children of God. Uh, John is saying, gaze upon the love of the Father for you. Uh, Gaze upon the good news of Jesus. See it. uh, Stare at it. To preach Jesus to your own heart, you first have to behold Jesus. That's the requirement. You just, you just have, to, you have to behold Jesus if you're going to effectively preach Jesus to yourself. You know, I, I love how Paul talks about the good news of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. He, he calls the good news of Jesus the unsearchable riches of Christ. I just love that way of describing the gospel. It's, it's the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, when he says it's the unsearchable riches of Christ, he doesn't mean that the good news of Jesus is, un, is impossible to, to understand. That's not what he's talking about. When he says it's the unsearchable riches of Christ, he's saying you can spend your life searching down into the gospel, just uncovering one beautiful gospel gem after another and never run out of gems. That's what he's saying. He's saying that the good news of Jesus is so vast that you're going to spend all eternity searching it out and never run out of material to search. That's the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the good news of Jesus. And it's just an invitation for us to keep staring, to keep searching the unsearchable riches of Jesus, to keep beholding Jesus. Now, one of the primary ways that we do this is through Bible reading. There's just no replacing opening up the Bible and reading it. 
And as you read the Bible, every story, every passage, every page of the Bible is pointing us to the person and work of Jesus. It's reminding us of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible is telling this one massive story, the story of God sending his son to rescue a people. And there's just no replacing opening up our Bible and reading it if we want to be effective preachers of the gospel to ourselves, if we want to behold the person and work of Jesus. Uh, let me put it in a metaphor for you. Uh, maybe you could think about preaching the gospel to yourself as the act of eating a great meal. It, it's, how we, it's how we get the nutrients of the gospel down into our soul so that it can refresh us and grow us and, and nourish us. So picture preaching the good news of Jesus as the act of eating. But if we're going to eat a good meal, we first have to make sure the ingredients to the meal are available. And that's the purpose of, of Bible reading. Uh, daily Bible reading is taking, it, it's like taking a daily trip to the grocery store so that you have fresh produce and a freshly stocked pantry so that then you can preach the gospel to yourself. You can make the meal and then you can eat the meal so that your soul can be refreshed and encouraged. But here's the problem most of us have. Uh, we are going to the pantry and we are finding last month's bread in there because it's been a while since we've opened up the Bible and stocked the pantry again. Uh, we're opening the fridge and we're finding last month's milk in there, right? It's it, it just, it's been too long since we've opened up, you know, gone to the, the grocery store and, and got the meal. And, and this is our, oftentimes our problem and it just doesn't work that way. If, if we want, think about this, in your own life and in your own heart, if you're gonna be an effective preacher of the gospel, we all need fresh ingredients from the scriptures. Daily Bible reading, that daily trip to the grocery store, we all need those fresh ingredients if we're going to preach fresh sermons to our soul. You need that, I need that, just that daily discipline of opening the Bible and reading. So gaze upon the good news of Jesus. Here's the second encouragement. Write sermons. Write sermons. You should be a person who is writing sermons so that you are ready to preach them to yourself. Uh, write sermons. Jesus has called every one of us in the room to be a preacher of the good news of Jesus. You're, you're called to be a preacher. I, I'm called to be a preacher. So we need to write sermons. I agree with one pastor when he was asked the question, why is it that you preach with such passion? And here was his answer. Um, here's the reason I preach with such passion, because I am doing everything I can to convince my own soul of the truth of these things. That's why. This sermon, before it's ever meant for you, is meant to keep my own heart convinced of the good news of Jesus. Our best sermons, my best sermons, are meant for my own heart, not other people's heart. You need to be a good preacher to your own heart, so you have to write sermons. Let's just take an example. Let's use suffering as an example. Some of us find ourselves in such hard places right now. This broken world is, in a lot of ways, just breaking us. Maybe that's job loss, maybe that's the breaking of a marriage, or maybe your marriage is already broken. Maybe that is struggling through the rebellion of one of your kids. Maybe that is a health problem that you're enduring. Maybe it's just 
Maybe it's just you battling with your own tendencies towards sin that's just leading to all sorts of difficulty and suffering and hardships in your life. And when our designer life, you know, the life that we always dreamed of, when our designer life disintegrates before our eyes and we actually have to receive the life that God has given us, it so often produces hard thoughts toward God. And this is when some of our best sermons are needed. And maybe that sermon could come out of Romans 8, where Paul says, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, we're just, it, it feels like our life is just being squeezed and we're about to die. And Paul was reminding us, if God is for us, who can be against us? Soul. Yes, much is against us. Preaching to our own heart, yes, much is against us. But the biggest, most powerful being in the universe, God, he is for us. And if, and if he's for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. It's preaching the good news of Jesus to ourselves. Verse 32, Paul goes on to say, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Have you ever felt in a moment of suffering like God is holding out on you? Like God is withholding things that he should be giving you? Paul here is... He's preaching the gospel to his own heart and to ours when he says, no, if God has given us the, the biggest thing for our rescue, he has given the life of his very own beloved son. If he's given us the big thing, will he not give us the small things that we need in our everyday life? Is he going to withhold the small things if he's given the life of his beloved son? Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Have you ever felt those charges? I feel them every morning when I wake up. I have a way of just instantly wanting to rehearse all of my failings, the 15 things yesterday that would, that would surely show that there is no way that I am in the love of God. And Paul is saying, who should bring any charge against God elects? And Paul just preaches the good news of Jesus. It is God who justifies. It's not my performance that justifies. No, it's the performance of Jesus that justifies us before God. Who is there to condemn? Have you ever felt condemned before God? Who is there to condemn? Listen to Paul preach the gospel to himself. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul is just working into his heart and working into our heart everything Jesus has already worked out for him. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Have you ever felt cut off from the love of God? Just believing that there's no way God could love you. One of the unique things about suffering is it so often, it, it so often feels like evidence for a lack of God's love in our life. That's so often how we translate suffering. That if I'm going through this, there is no way that God could love me. But Paul is saying here, no, 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 that's not true. God the Father has already shown his love for us in the sacrifice of his beloved son. So he preaches the gospel to his own heart and to our heart. He goes on to say, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. 
No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is preaching the gospel to yourself. And I'm just looking at you, this church family, and saying, you need to write sermons, and you need to be ready to preach your best sermons, not to someone else, but to your own heart. And lastly, I'll just give you this encouragement. We need to embed ourselves in gospel-breathing community. We need to embed ourselves in gospel-breathing community. Now, why is that? It's because there are going to be times when your own sermons have no effect on your heart. That, that day's coming for you and it's coming for me. And do you know what we need in that moment? In that moment, we're going to need the people of God to sing that sermon over us, to, to speak that sermon to our heart, to pray that, that good news of Jesus down into our soul. Uh, preaching the gospel to yourself is not just an individual discipline or habit. It's a communal discipline. And ironically, in Psalm 42, in verse 4, uh, the psalmist is remembering his community in the midst of his despair. In verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He's remembering being with the people of God as they praise God. He's remembering the people of God as, as they would sing together, reminding one another of who God is and all that God has done for them. And in a lot of ways, I think this is Paul's vision for a local church, that it would be a gospel-breathing community, a community of people who would all be preaching the good news of Jesus, reminding one another of the good news of Jesus, encouraging one another with the good news of Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is, in a lot of ways, just unpacking the beauty of the gospel, and in particular, uh, of the resurrection, and, and how the resurrection of Jesus is really a foretaste of what's coming for all the sons and daughters of God as he brings new life in us. And then he says in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4, encourage one another with these things. In other words, keep these things in front of one another. This is, this is part of the function of a church to keep, to keep all of us remembering the good news of Jesus together. And this week, in, in a lot of ways, I just got a chance to see this in action in our church family. Uh, one of our precious families lost their 27-year-old son this week in just a tragic car accident. It has been just a gut-wrenching week. And moments like that produce the sort of grief that feels like the bottom has dropped out of your life, that feels like you're in a free fall and you have no parachute, produces that sort of grief. And all week I have watched our church family come around this church family and gently breathe the gospel into the hearts of grieving parents, of grieving siblings, of grieving grandparents, 
And the truth is, church family, I'm going to need that one day. You're going to need that one day. So may we as a church become the type of community together that gently and humbly grows in our ability to do this very thing, to remember and rehearse together the good news of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. I want to give you just a moment there where you are to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful. To wipe away the things that would not be helpful for you today. And Maybe you can just ask for clarity from the Lord of one thing he would really want you to drill down on and take with you today, to think upon, to meditate upon, to ponder. One way for you to respond today. And for some, that, that one way to respond is by turning to Jesus for the very first time. that this is, this is the moment, this is the day that the Lord has appointed for you to take that decisive step of faith, for you to push your life across the line with Jesus, for you to turn from your sin and to hurl your life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, for you to come to God with the empty hands of faith, saying to God, here is my life. I am trusting Jesus. Save me, rescue me. And do you know what God would love to do today? Just that. He would love to bring you into his family. He would love to invite you into this incredibly bright future that he has planned for all of his sons and daughters. So just there where you are in the best way you know how, call out to the Lord. Cast your life onto the Lord. Give your life to him. So, oh God, would you be at work in us today? God, would you show us what you would want from us today? God, and even more importantly, would you show us what you have done for us today? God, would you sear again the good news of Jesus into our minds, his life, death, and resurrection. May we stay mindful of these things. Would you help us rehearse these things on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday at lunch? Uh, God, would you give us a constant awareness of all that we have, all that we are in Jesus? God, would you help us work into our hearts everything that Jesus has already worked out for us? And it's in the good name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.